G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Nick Hovey. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're doing something a bit different with um, our guest being Daniel Camilleri from EK Kelpies and Hooked on Hounds. Um, Dan will be so, picking what, what he thinks is the best question from the night and they'll win a bag of Enduro high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey, good guys. evening, Dan. G'day, okay, g'day, mate. How you going? Good. How are you? I was I was going really well until I just took my head out on that lamp when I went to check on my dog <laughs> outside. Um, so yeah, got a bit of a ding in there now, but this is already a bashed up head, so it's all good. Is the um is the Sparky coming tomorrow to raise the lamps up? Uh no, I think I might have had a growth spurt overnight. Um, so oh, right. I'll take my Crocs off next time and I'll fix straight <laughs> up with the lamp. Oh, you've got the platforms. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I've got the high ones. Yeah, yeah special order. Yeah, yeah, nice. So tell us a bit about yourself, Dan, and like where are you from, what what your story is, and yeah, let's get started. Nah, no worries, mate. So um, first of all, thanks for jumping on tonight and doing this for us, Nick. Really, been really looking forward to it. So that's My pleasure. Cool. Nah, cool. So, mate, I, um, I grew up in Western Sydney. Uh, in Blacktown, my parents are still there in a little three-bedroom home. Uh, we're fortunate enough there that we had a lot of farms and not what around us back then. It's all houses now. Yeah. Um, my grandparents were actually family friends. Um, my grandfather was a, a pigeon racer and had a heap of birds. My love for birds there. My other grandfather actually had a cattle feed lot, and he yep. bred uh, Rottweilers back in the 80s and then followed by, like, Alaska Malamutes, Beagles, and then got back in the – in the Rottweilers uh, in the in the two thousands uh, before I got a bit older and start to downscale everything. So um, I spent a lot of my time all school holidays um, on the farm. There he leased another hundred odd acres behind him as well. Um, that's all back where Oran Park is. That's all houses now as well out there. Um, so I suppose that's where my love for animals and dogs comes into it. So I've been around dogs my whole life. Um, and fortunate enough that, you know, when I wasn't playing soccer, the old boy would um, take me hunting a lot. I've got a cousin that's a really good pig hunter, really good with a dog. So I spent a lot of time with him. And I remember I didn't get in my U6 formal and I actually went Walgett with my dad and my cousin and, and an uncle. And we're under the stars and I look at them all and they go, uh, you'd be at your formal tonight. I go, yeah, but this is heaps better. And, yeah, nice. Um, just watching dogs, uh, the way, you know, just it was never about, you know, about killing a pig or whatever it may be, it was about the find. You know, you have this pup from eight weeks old, and you've um, you spent time with it, and it might be, you know, 10, 12 months old, and jumps off the back of the ute on scent, and will run through livestock and pastures and and bats and whatever it may be out there, just to just to catch that scent of a pig. You know, and I'm talking, I'm not talking a couple hundred meters of it. We'd run trackers back in those days. It was the old koala trackers. Used to have to open them up and like dip, yep. dip, 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 with a little needle before we went to How's GPS. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like dip, 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 dip. <laughs> like that, but more like tingy. Same. Yep. Um, yeah, and like I could literally tag and release every pig we ever caught. It was never about about the hunt. It was more about just educating that that young dog. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. And then I was a sales rep and uh, away a good majority of the week and then I'd come home and 
I'd go hunting again and the ex-wife didn't really find that too amusing. Um, so I stumbled into working dogs and um, the rest is history, as they say. What yeah, about work? Work as in what I do now? Or? Oh, sort of where you've, what you've done and, yeah, what how you ended up to Hooked on Hounds, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. My grandfather told me I was going to be an auto electrician <laughs> and, my grand, and my cousin was going to be a diesel mechanic. So <laughs> I've done the good ethnic thing and done what my grandfather said and become an auto electrician. So um, I done that and finished my apprenticeship and I specialize in heavy vehicle. So I, I, I specialize in earth moving equipment. And then I kind of fell into a role as a product support role, uh, rep with uh, earth moving company and then fell into sales and then in the major accounts. And I kind of floated around with a lot of bigger companies in earth moving equipment. So like your Komatsu's, your West Track, your Caterpillar, um, Yanmar's and Kabelka and whatnot. And, Kind of just worked my way up all until uh, a couple of years ago where I finally got the dream job I wanted my whole career and I uh, realised it wasn't for me. And, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So uh, I was lucky when i done that, I kind of just walked away and I didn't have a job and I hitchhiked with dogs for four <laughs> weeks and um, I didn't have a vehicle either. So I'd, uh, I'd go to one mate's place and my dogs were pretty scattered then as well. Uh, I had a bit going on, so a lot of my mates took my dogs on. And I only kept uh, Mo at home and, and Ned. Um, and then, yeah, so I just went from one, well, Laura and, and Marie actually took me down to Benny Costa's. And from there, we spent the day there. And I went home and spent a few days with Nick. And from Nick, I went to Pumpers. From Pumpers, I went to Dave Motley's. And we went up to Ningen. And we Dave got, gave you a car to come that, home. Yeah, I got all the way to um, <laughs> Ruger up there at the pub. And we come back to Ningen for a few days. And then Dave gave me a car. And I got back to Chris Egan's for a few days and hung out with him and hung out with Pete Rutherford. Yeah, and cool. Back was about four weeks and kind of thought about what I want to do and uh, when I needed a dog community, how they were there for me. So um, we got back. Laura and I actually started dog talk and we got in the magazine then as well. And then um, I got back into earth moving for a little while and I just I wasn't enjoying it. And... That's kind of when mustard dogs was happening and I could see a lot of dogs around here and I thought, wow, there's going to be a lot of dogs without homes. So we got into, um, we started, Natalie liked my smile and moved down from Tyree Station up in Torrens Creek. She's probably oh, a lucky man. than me anyways, but um, yeah, so she come down here and we started Hooked on Hounds. So I suppose yep. basically, yeah, we do a little bit of herding and whatnot for, for our city slickers and people that want to get into trialling. But a lot of what we do is rehabilitation of like reactive dogs and aggressive dogs. Um, the scarier, the better. Oh, you know, just most of them are just reactive because they're scared, you know. So it's just breaking yep. down those walls. Like I've got one yep. here at the moment. You couldn't handle him a week ago. Oh, he just wanted to kill me. And uh, I've just fed him out of my hands for a week. And that's the only place he's got to feed. And made a bit of a job for him as well. And you get up in the morning now and you just watch his dog jumping on the kennel and wagging his tail and you know, that's going to help probably save a dog and help someone's life. So that's pretty cool. I enjoy that. Yeah. So so you see that as, as a challenge too. Like, like you said, the scarier the better. Um, yeah. So so you set yourself a goal and, and, and hit those challenges. and Yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, like, you know, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat. So there's so, so many different ways to approach those dogs, you know. No different to children, you know. We we spend a day a week down at Rough Track, and um, I look at a lot of the kids there that we work with, and they're no different to a lot of these dogs. Like they just they lack structure, 
you know, and and just giving them a bit of structure. And um, and it's amazing that when we have structure, how our behavioural patterns shift, you know, and uh, and looking at different ways to accomplish that with not only every kid but like every dog, like because every dog's motivated by something different. You just got to find out what makes them tick. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your involvement with Rough Track? Yeah, so I was um, I was lucky enough there that um, they contacted us earlier this year looking for someone to come down and do some sheepdog herding. And I had a couple of people through my name my name up, um, Tony Mulverhill, one of them there. Um, and uh, Farmer Dave got in contact with me and we thought, let's go down and meet these, uh, meet these guys and the kids and see what it's all about. And uh, I grew up, a lot of people ask me why I do it. Uh, I grew up in Western Sydney where a lot of these kids are from. And I was actually one of these kids. I was just fortunate enough to go home to really good parents, but a lot of my mates didn't. Uh, a lot of my, some of my mates lived with aunties or uncles or siblings or some of them even just drifted. Um, so that's why I suppose that it's pretty special to me. Um, yep. So, yeah, we just go down there, um, you know, do a bit of sheepdog work. Sometimes it might be a bit of obedience. Basically just being a mate to a lot of these kids and just hearing hearing their stories and being a mate as someone out there to listen and, you know, it, it, sometimes it might not even be working a dog. It might be just be sitting down and having a chat for a little while. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it kind of strikes home because, you know, I, a lot of those mates I talked about earlier when I was growing up, I, I don't know where they are now. So if we can help save it, I will redirect a couple of young fellas that now. Well, uh, it's worthwhile, yeah. right? And just have, yeah, you know, they've got then people that actually respect them and, yeah, and, and want to help them um, as opposed to, you know, the darker alternative of just going, well, you're a, a delinquent and throwing them in, in a lockup or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's some fantastic people down there helping these guys. You know, it, it's not just Dave, you know. There's Dave where he's got a whole team behind him of youth workers and, and even admin staff there that push the barrow um, and are real supportive of these kids and just just being a shoulder for them, you know, just yeah. making them feel important. And how do you find the working dogs... You know, your kelpies and you going down and helping. How do you find that changes their path or, or does it? Um, yeah, I think it gives them some accountability. You know, it's no different to having a young dog. And, um, you know, one of the first things I do when a young dog, I have a pup in the kennel and it starts to go off its head is I, I tether it up underneath my bedroom window, right? And it, it's accountable for its own actions. You know, if it hits the end of that chain, well, it's accountable for that. If it tangles itself up, providing it's not injured, I'll leave it there to think about it for a bit. And it's these these kids are the same, right? They're they're given jobs like if it's not sheepdog herding, they might be doing metal fabrication. Mm. So they've got a job, yeah. and those things actually they they get sold as well. So if they if they don't put anything into it. Um, nice video, nice nice chest there. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't turn that light on. It was too dark. <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of the stuff they do you now. Whether at the moment they're making turtles and toolboxes and just things that can get sold. So. If they're putting yeah. time and effort and care into it, well, they're actually raising money for their own program. Mm. Um, mm. So, I, yeah, I believe giving them a bit of accountability um, helps helps swing them around. Yeah, and that's yeah. actually Karen Higgins asked that question. Oh, there you go. Coming after I ask, so yeah, that's that's Karen's question. Yeah, cool. Um, go, Laura. I was just going to say, have you sort of ever, other than your earth moving and your auto elect and now hooked on hounds. Have you ever thought of doing anything else? 
a few years ago, someone asked why I wouldn't be a dog trainer, and I laughed at them. I, said, I think that good. was my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I said, no, nah, I'm not good enough for that. Um, and I, honestly, I, I, even when I was advised to start this business from a local dog trainer here, who's probably one of the best guys I've ever seen with a dog, and I, I'd say to him, no, nah, I'm not good enough. I mean, he, he took months for me to actually have a crack at that. Got to the point where he yep. said, if you don't ring, if you don't quit your job, I'm going to ring your boss and have a proper chat to him and quit for you. And like he really backed us, and he gave us a heap of work to start with as well. Um, that's a mate of mine called Bear, fantastic as a yep. dog. Um, so I suppose dog training did ring a bell. Um, the other thing I would have loved to do uh, in summer would be water skiing schools. Um, yeah, that's one thing there. There, I'm an avid water skier. I love it when Danny Kerr gives me a phone <laughs> call anyway. Um, and um, I'm not too sure that you're the best teachers, though. I still haven't gotten up on the ski. Yeah, it's all about <laughs> technique and timing, right? We're still working on that. And, and we've got to get out there, right? Yeah, Exposure. that's it. Exposure. Yeah, yeah. Danny's got My to get white legs don't really like the sun, so. <laughs> it's warm, warming up now, guys, and the, the um, daylight's still there for a long time, so. Surely Danny's going to get his boat out soon enough. Mind you, the Hawkesbury's still pretty pretty dirty and um, yeah, I don't know yeah not great to, to ski on. Yeah, I don't know. I'd want to ski on it with all the yeah rubbish you know, in it. Washed down there in the last couple of years now. Well, come up to Wyangla. Yeah. Sorry. Come up to Wyangla. Drag him, drag Danny and his boat up, and happy yeah. days. There might have go. to might now. Have to. There you go. <laughs> we might might have to pick Nick up on the way. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so Danny, like what, what breed was your first dog and who was it? Like, was it a working dog or? Nah, so, so I mentioned before my grandfather had a cattle feed line, Rottweilers. So we actually used to, well, I don't know whether we used them or they just tagged along and joined in. We used to actually use them to move cattle. Yeah. Um, and back in the day, he actually had pigs as well. And they, um, they actually saved his life a few times there where big ball would come at him. Have him quick, have him cornered in a pig sty, and a couple of dogs come <laughs> in. But um, yeah, my first dog that, oh, and obviously we had a lot of dogs growing up, like at home, you know, bull terriers and cattle dogs, and uh, I think there was a shepherd in there for a little while, and there was a red cattle dog there for twenty four hours, but it decided it wanted to pin me down on the floor as a kid. So uh, mum made sure that dad got rid of that one pretty quickly. Yeah, but um, cool. my first dog that was actually mine, my sixteenth birthday present, was a Rottweiler by the name of Jessie um i actually have her great granddaughter underneath a rock here so we had uh we had her that genetics around for a while um and yeah the old boy you know i don't know how he done it you know being a dad now and you know kids playing t-ball and yeah out every weekend and he done that for 12 years with me playing soccer but not just soccer like he used to take me to obedience school like me and my dog to a local obedience club it was probably half an hour away um and then and then actually then a closer one um and you'd take me there, I think it was maybe a Wednesday night every week. So I'd go there and train her. And there was an older bloke across the road from my parents' place that had a Kelpie and he used to give me pointers. And, you know, I already knew all the stuff to do, what to teach dogs what not to do, like um, yeah. chase chooks and cows and maybe uh, the odd horse here and there. But, um, yeah, I, I suppose Jessie was my first dog and, um, yeah, learned plenty of her. Yeah, cool. Uh, and how, how would that... You know, she she then not being a um, you know a, of what we would classify today as a working breed. Um, how has that then helped you develop your skills or your kelpies and and now that little collie you've got? My, I'll be honest. My first working dog was a dog by the name of Leroy. It was a sil silver kelpie or Leroy Jenkins. 
Leroy. I don't even know why I called him Leroy, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I can't remember. Anyways, I got him. Uh, we had a couple of French Mastiffs here in the Rottweiler, and my kids, all faith, just started to walk, and uh, I always wanted a Kelpie, so it looked like a great excuse to, I'll get a dog that's only a small one for her, right? Oh, we all know yeah. it's more for me, but that's, that's cool. We can live with that, right? Um, I quickly learned that everything I thought I knew just went out the window. Um, yeah. If I it was tough like I was um, with my cousin on the hunting dogs, the dog just didn't have the temperament to, to take it. Um, and I quickly learned that I, something has to change. Um, even and so I, I at that time I probably had about uh, between goats and sheep I probably had 40, 40 had head of livestock here and this dog would just go missing and it, I'd go be calling and calling and calling and he'd be down in the bottom paddock and like we're only on fifteen acres here but he'd have him right down the back corner just ringing them and ringing them and ringing them and I'd, it'd always be when I was running late to work and I'd be screaming and screaming I'd go down there and I'd grab him on a, on the lead and I'd yank him up and. I was just, it wasn't working. I could tell I was just breaking his spirit. And uh, we're down at the river once there, and um, I was seeing this lady, this young girl, walking through with a young Kelpie. And I was there with the, the whole family. And I went, oh, and I let Leroy off the lead. And he went and played with this pup. And we got talking to this girl, and she said, oh, you should come down to the Hawkesbury Sheepdog Club. So anyways, I, I went down there, and um, I learned a bit there. But what that did, they gave me access um, to a lot of other trainers. And I remember yep. uh, one, of the, one of the first schools I went to was the Coxie School. And I had a, another dog there, Ned. And um, I learned plenty there. And he asked, you got any plans to trial this dog? And I went, no. Nah. Anyways, it was only a few months later. I said, I messaged him said, oh, do you reckon I'd have a crack? And he goes, yeah, have a go. And Morris was here and around the corner, Morris Mather. And I went there and I put him around his course. Morris goes, have a go. And I went to a trial and that was it, hooked. So yeah. Yeah, no, nah, um, well, yeah, I was supposed to answer your question there. Oh, mate, from where I started to when I got my first working dog, I kind of had to do a bit of a flip. Uh, and then now in the business I've got now, I've had to really, really flip again, like, you know, to really make dogs fall in love, build rapport really quickly. Um, yep. You know, you just got to – I can – we use a slip lead here. That's our tool. Um and it can be used as a tool or a weapon. And I don't want to go around and just dictate to dogs because they're only going to give me a bit of themselves. And I don't want that. I want a dog that wants to work with me, wants to work with me, not for me. Yep. Um, so really refining. And, and we're refining every day, right? Yeah, exactly. So when you're starting out and you went down to the club, was there anyone that really inspired you to go further with it? Or was um, it just your own oh, personality? Oh, I'll be honest. I was down at the club. And I was training one day and someone said to me, oh, so are you going to trial? And I said, no. And they go, so why are you wasting my time? And I Ooh. went, wow, wow, wait a minute. I got inspired very quickly when I heard yeah. that because I'm the kind of yeah. person that loves to take a challenge on. So that, that inspired me very quickly. So yeah. I can't yeah. even remember who that was. Um, and if I could, I wouldn't say anyway. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I reckon I could know because I was part of that club once. So I reckon I know. <laughs> uh, I reckon you're probably wrong. But, um, yeah, that, that <laughs> inspired me quickly. And then I suppose in terms of is there someone that's inspired me? Well, I've had a lot. I've been lucky that. Um, Definitely mum and I have inspired talking. And I've made a lot of good friends. And, um, you know, I've gone and seen a, and spent time with a lot of people, you know, like like um, Mick Hudson and 
Morris Mether was great for me, um, you know, Robert Cox, but you know, all those people out trialing as well, you know, like your, your Kevies, your Chris's, your Steve Wayman's, like, but not even just the experienced people, the people less experienced. Um, oh, sorry, and like, and sorry, good bunch of mates there, you know, and like Chris Egan and Pete Rutherford and Paul Adams and uh, Nick Foster and Pumper and Fletch, like, we'll just go and spend a weekend training and everyone just feeds off each other. But also just watching total beginners and just seeing something they do and they don't even know why they've done it, but it works. And you go, oh, shit, maybe I could try that next time. You know, and mm-hmm. um, so I, I suppose I'm inspired by everyone that actually gets out and has a has a crack and not only in the trial grounds, even if it's someone that we just talk to about dogs in general. Like, I'm a dog perv. I can talk to people about dogs like literally Nat gets sick of me talking about dogs. Dogs and excavators, mate. Oh, I'm a bit over the diggers these days. <laughs> um, so if there's – obviously there's a huge list of, of mentors that you've got. So it's, you know, just just rattle off for us a few of those, like, and obviously not limited to, um, uh, yeah, a few of those men or women that have really inspired you as, as mentors and – They've helped you along your journey. So, like, are you talking like senior people? I suppose in in what we do. Um, I I wouldn't use that term just because I don't want to offend them by age. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, people that, that might have been trialing for a, a, a yeah. fair while and um, yeah, been been mentoring you. Yeah. So obviously, I mentioned Morris there earlier. Um, he was always always good to just go, hey Dan, try this or come over anytime. Um, the first working dog school I ever went to was Robert Cox, and he really got me thinking about being in a dog's head. I never really thought about that. Like he, um, yeah. there was an th- interview there. He had, in, um, I think it's ABC, whatever it's on. And I remember him saying, like, when he sends that dog over the hill, he he wants that being that dog's head still. Yeah. Um, so that was a big one. Um, Mick Hudson was massive for me, just teaching me how to work, like how to work stock properly, you know, and. I remember on the way to first time I met Mick, I actually stopped at the New South Wales Yard Dog Championships at uh, Wellington, and I yep. won the Encourage there. And um, when I got to his place, he goes, congratulations, Dan. Uh, I'm not going to be able to teach you anything in the yards. And I said, no, that's all good, Mick. You've got to get the sheep or whatever stock it is out of the paddock into the yards before you can work the yards. And he goes, we're going to get on fine. <laughs> and um, that always rang with me and um, just – I suppose whatever what, everything he's taught me outside, I just apply into the yards. It, it's no different. It's yeah. just a smaller space. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, like I said, you know, like um, you know, there's, there's so many more like Chris Stapleton, Steve Wayman, um, Michael Johnson. Anyone that's actually ever judged me and then at a trial and then given me advice afterwards. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's massive. Um, you know, we were down here at the Sydney trial the other day. And Nick um, Foster and judging courage, and just about after every run, I, I was judging on the other side. But just about after every run, I seen him talk with the handlers. Yeah, and I was just like, I used to take so much away from that because you know, I, I, I remember people doing that the same. I remember Chris Stapleton really clearly once before a trial, he goes uh, in a final, and he goes, "Mate, you got this. You go all right." And my final run was nowhere as good as my <laughs> first run. And he turned around and he goes, Dan, that was the same sheep that broke on you five times and you've done the same thing five times. And I was like, oh, shit, I did too. I just, instead of letting my dog work, I just 
was trying to run the show for him. Yeah. Yeah. And um, just advice like that. Um, I suppose that anyone that's actually judged me is probably a good, been a good mentor. Yeah. Cool. So we'll get into a little bit about your dogs. What have you got here at the moment? And I, I'm here. I've been outside this afternoon, and there's a whole range of them. So my dogs are just all yeah. there's about twenty <laughs> dogs. Here. Twenty dogs here at the moment. All breeds. From, uh, yeah, what well, there's uh, shepherds, collies, uh, kelpies, uh, mastiff, dane, wolfhound, boxer, cattle, cattahoolie, catahoula. Um, that's the one I want to take my face off. That we're the mates now, so that's cool. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, there's a there's a few here. Uh, in my team, um, actually, my team's a bit um, disjointed at the moment because uh, Mo got hurt the other day and um, sold scout at Carcor, and I got a young bitch on heat. So I've got a few young dogs getting run, but I suppose um, I like my kelpies. Um, but in saying that, I'm not dog racist. So I, I do love a good collie as well. So. I've got a young collie pup there as well. So, geez, you don't want me to go through all of them, do you? No. Um, there's nah. a few there now, I think about. <laughs> yeah. So, I suppose. But just your main dogs. A couple of main dogs. So, Mo, uh, he's a pup that I bred. Uh, probably wouldn't suit everyone when he was younger. Probably even not now, but that's okay. He doesn't have to. Um, he was just a nutcase, um, but he's really matured with me. And the thing I love about that dog, like, I've won sheep, three sheep trials with him and, and yard dog trials, and he's only just become an open dog this year. Jesus had a few play, novice placings and maiden placings, though. We used to call Dan when we were traveling. Mum, Dan, and I'd go everywhere. We used to call him One Point Kelpies because we'd be yeah. there all day, all day, and we'd like, Mum and I bombed out well and truly. But, you know, Dan would be like first or second round and sitting there like in the final. The last four dogs had come out and he'd lose, like, not get in a final by one point. And we waited there all day. Yeah. <laughs> and we're like, we could have been home like five hours ago. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, that happened pretty often. Um, so there's, yeah, there's right. Mo. And the thing I love about Mo is his um, ability to read stock. Like it doesn't matter if you've got something flighty there or something with, that needs a bit more. Um, he has got a little bit too much eye though. Um, and that's okay. We get around that. Um, but, yeah, so there's Mo. Uh, he'd be my favourite. I've got Trick. So she was the first... Kelpie pup I trained when I kind of had half of half of an idea. Um, so she had a quarter of an idea. Oh, maybe less than that again. Yeah, right. Um, but, um, you know, while she's got her faults, her biggest attribute is her attitude. Um, she just doesn't quit. She just, she's just always there and we just always have a yeah. go. She's probably got the most buttons on her too, wouldn't she? Oh, she's definitely my most trained dog, mm. but she kind of needs that because she's not probably not my most uh, natural dog either. Mm. Um, I've got a Mo daughter there, Isla, who I really like. She's 14 months. Um, Scout, I really liked Scout. Um, I sold Scout at Carcore last week. Um, still mixed emotions about that, to be honest. Um, yep. But I, I wanted to put out a good started dog, um, something I'd train, so something had to be sacrificed. Um, I've got a young dog there by Capri Red. Um, well, he's only 11 months old, so he's going well. Um, I love how you have to ask me that question. Yeah, no, no, I was thinking about that. What else have I got? I've got a pup there. He's about four months old. She's really nice. Um, and oh, I've got another pup there by Trick. He's 12 months old, uh, and we'll see how he goes. He's I only I've only had him for about a week or two, so that's about yeah. my team at the moment. Yeah, cool. So, what are you? Um, 
what are you hoping to achieve in with the team, like sort of all aspects of trialing or try and sort of focus on yard and cattle or, yeah, what, what's my, your goal? Yeah, my end goal is I want to be able to go and get anything out of my kennel and be able to go to a three-sheep utility, yard trial, cattle trial, go muster some goats or old mate down the road has his bulls out, go and get his bulls, help him get his cows in. Um, if a mate goes, hey, can you give us a hand for a couple of days and I've got a couple of quiet days here, head out and do that bit. Kind of, kind of like the unicorn, you know, that we all want. But in saying that, every unicorn is going to have its fault, right? So if I can have something that in my team that can cover something else's fault, um, that, that's kind of what I'm aiming for. And, yep. yeah, I just want, want something I can basically get out of kennel and be proud of and have a crack at anything. Yeah. Um, so you're not working your dogs every day in, in a farm situation and such, yeah. but you are working your dogs every day in a different sort of style. Do you want to sort of go on about that a bit? Yeah, so yeah, my dog's pretty pretty different like that. So obviously, like, we're getting stock in every day if somebody wants to come and do some herding or whatnot. So they've always got access to stock. But my dogs are normally watching other people work stock or playing fullback and something gets loose, they're playing fullback and covering and keeping them together. Um, the other thing um, my dogs do, um, and Scout was really good for this, is really big in rehabilitation of other dogs. So I might march a reactive dog. Or I might work with a reactive dog here and then I'll have my dogs around and I might march a reactive dog at my dog and this dog can want to kill my dogs. And I just want my dogs just to stay stay firm, just, just sit there. Um, most of that time that's up at a height. So on like a, I've got a couple of like electrical cables, so the drums, the electrical cables come on. So I just sit yep. my dogs there and my, the, my dog, my dog's job is just to sit there, not react and just trust that I'm not going to let the other dog get to it. Yep. And having a conversation with the other dog is mate, you don't have to be scared of that dog. It's not going to hurt you. Keep moving. And that might but be at first just sitting there, but then it might be applying more pressure. So getting my dogs to bark while I walk that reactive dog past and asking it not to react. Uh, and then eventually getting on the ground with that dog and just working around it. So that, um, they make really good pillows sometimes for lunch break. <laughs> um, and they're just, just good mates. Like I can literally take my best mates to work every day now. Yeah. You know, I'm with my dogs every day. Um, it might even be school drop off, for example, or pick up or, I take a lot of dogs to T-ball training or T-ball games. Um, even take our clients' dogs there. All our clients um, give us permission to take our dogs off their dogs off site. Um, but yeah, my dogs are they're used for a lot of different things now. And sometimes I'll probably throw them in the deep end as well. Like you know, they might not do anything from cattle in six months, and then a neighbor's cattle will get out. And I'm asking my dogs to. It's pretty. It's a pretty wild country when you get in the back here, like cliffs and whatnot, in the back of people's properties, some gullies yeah. and. I'll be in there and I'll think, my dogs aren't, this isn't what my dogs do. But they, they're they always there just to help regardless. And they, they, they don't go sit back on the truck. They, if I'm in there and getting chased by a bull like I did earlier this year, my dogs are there with me, right? And um, they, they probably really um, saved my bacon there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'll probably push them a bit sometimes out of their comfort zones. Um, but all I want is them just, to be there with me, just be that and have a good attitude. Just have a go. Yeah, but if you're if you're not pushing them out of their comfort zones to an extent, you know you're probably not challenging them and, and taking them to that next level either. 
Uh, I've got a saying here, and that's about like exposure. You know, you got to expose. Um, you know, if if you couldn't swim, I dropped you in the ocean tomorrow. You, you're probably going to drown. But if we can get you to put your toes in the water today, get you in the shallow end tomorrow, by the end of the week, get you get you treading water in the deep end. Well, and maybe in two or three weeks you can swim laps. If you get dropped in the ocean, you could probably probably live, right? You could probably tread water and survive. But if you've never exposed to it, and then testing yourself as well, well, how do you know what you're capable of? Yeah. So what are you looking for? Like what style of dog are you sort of after? I know you want the all-rounder, but what are you sort of looking for? Um, I like a dog with a bit of feel and, and, and grip, but I suppose if there's one thing that I've, especially this year, has changed, and I think sometimes we're always evolving with what we like, but attitude mm-hmm. to me, like attitude number one. Like you don't have to be the best at something, but be willing to have a go. Is attitude different yeah. to temperament? Um, I think they kind of go hand in hand a bit, you know, like for me, I find like the real natural types when I say they're off in temperament, because as soon as you start to ask them to do something that they don't want to, they're like, oh, I don't know about this. Yeah, the attitude um, isn't right. Where, correct, right? where something that still might be a bit natural, but has a good attitude that's just willing to please, will still have a go, mm-hmm. even though it's out of its comfort zone. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so if I'm asking something that's paddocky and floaty a bit to come in um, and it's a bit natural um, and that, or its temperament's a bit off and it goes, no, I don't want to come here, I'm out here or I'm gone, whereas if it's got a good attitude and wants to be your mate, you'll trust you that bit just to come in a bit. And you only need to take a step or two the first time, right? Then you can work on it. Yeah. But if it's never got that attitude to have a go, well, you, you, you're always going to struggle or you've got to find another way and it's just going to take a longer, a longer process. Yeah, and and how, do you find that like the way way you build your bond with your dogs and and teach them to trust you? Do you find that has a, a play on an attitude? Like, do you think you could change a dog's attitude in you know, in time? Um, with a lot of patience. Um, to what degree? Oh, I don't know. I'm probably still in the air about that. But but I do believe you can change the attitude a bit. Um. It's kind of like, so I revert it back to some of these kids we work with, right? Some of them are actually good kids, but their attitude is, oh, I just don't want to have a go. I don't want to have a go. But as soon as you get them to have a go and you make, like, if you can just get them to take that first step, well, then suddenly, yeah. oh, that's actually not that bad. And even sometimes that might be with the dog. Like, for example, we've got an A-frame out the back here, right? There's a bit of agility equipment. And I'll have a dog in the lead and I'll go, come on, mate, come up. And he goes, I don't want to come up. All right? Now, if that's a dog I haven't built rapport with yet, I'm not going to make that dog go over that, that A-frame. If that's a dog I've already got rapport with, I go, mate, I know you can do this. You need to believe in yourself. You can do it. Let's just come up. And in most times, you know, nine out of ten times, the first time you take them over, then all of a sudden they go, oh, that was great, and they love it, and then I'll keep doing it. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, with building a lot, of, getting a lot of confidence and rapport, um, you, you can swindle um, attitude, um, but it, it's definitely a character-building exercise. Yeah. So yeah, cool. there's a question here from, from Nat, and she's asked, oh, this is gonna be <laughs> hey, after training your own uh, Rottweilers and Kelpies, how has your knowledge of training a dog progressed when you started training other people's dogs on a daily basis? Oh. Okay. Perfect, if, if I'm going to wash the dishes. Yeah. Well, uh. 
actually in the dishwasher I've already, tonight. I've already, I've already loaded the dishwasher. <laughs> I'm a good partner. Um, yeah, I suppose when it's it's kind of it's kind of like um, working with your own children compared to somebody else's, right? When you're working with your own children, you can be a bit more firm with them. Um, but when you work, if you're working with somebody else's, you kind of got to dance around the edge sometimes. And it's no different here, right? Like with my dogs, I, I can, they're my dogs and I've got a rapport with them. So I can kind of ask them to do things. And if I, if I know they're not giving me their all, I can kind of push them that little bit to get a bit more out of them. But you can't really do that with somebody else's dogs. Or you have to be careful the way you do that, um, yeah. especially with the society we live in these days. Um, so I suppose you've got to make it a little bit theatrical at times, you know, um, and um, to a degree where you're actually making it look like, well, not look like, like, my whole philosophy on the way we train dogs here is getting them to make the decisions. Sometimes they don't want to make those decisions. So getting them to make those decisions makes them a bit uncomfortable. So if you can make their owner feel comfortable that you're not applying too much pressure to that dog to do it, um, everyone's kind of comfortable. Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah. Where I'm going with that? Do you yeah. think a lot of that, though, are you finding if the owners have trained and started their, you know, whether it's a little sausage dog or a mm -hmm. chihuahua, like I yeah. know you haven't had them, but. Oh, heaps of sausage dogs, yeah. yeah. There's two here in the <laughs> well, house there's two now. Here now but I, I, I've um, had a run of sausage dogs the last month. But here. are you finding if people aren't start not starting, but building that bond with their dogs correctly, that it then is harder for you to train them? I said, I saw, well, the client said trained, to me the but, other day, yeah. client said to me the other day, oh, how many good dogs do you get here? And I went, with our good dogs, we'll be out of a job. Yeah. All right. Um, and I said, do you mean obedient dogs? And they're like, oh, yeah. And, yeah, I think, yeah, 100%. If people put the right foundations on, it would be easier. Um, but you would also wouldn't have but, a job. Oh, correct. And we are at Carcourt the other day and I got speaking to this chap and um, during the, the demos and um, he asked what I do for work and I told, I told him. And then he said, oh, what are the, what's the biggest problem you see that people have with pet dogs? And I said, I can't put that down to one. I can put it down to two key things for me. And I said, but first of all is treating dogs like dogs and not people. Um, and some of that is sometimes is teach your dog to be bored. Let it sit in your crate or in the back of your ute and, um, or in their kennels and say, mate, don't bark. It's not acceptable. And the other thing is consistency, sending the same message all the time, right? And I think um, where a lot of people um, struggle, they actually don't know their dog because they're so busy trying not to – train the dog in front of them, but making it be someone else's. Be like, we'll get a heap of dogs here. And it's, for example, oh, Rex never had these problems, but, you know, but little Jet here does. You know, and Jet does this and Jet does that and Rex never done it. Yeah, that's all cool, but you haven't got Rex. you got Jet. Mm. And you probably forget that Rex was 12 years old, but 12 years ago you probably had similar problems that you do with Jet now, right? But how about working on that? Yeah. yeah. So, oh, no, I, I probably went a long way around then. Yeah, a little bit, but it made sense in the long run. <laughs> cool. Um, I think, yeah, something, something that you just touched on there, like, you know, teaching dogs to be dogs, like, and, you know, it's, it's okay to be bored. I feel like we as humans need to relate back to that as well. Like, it is okay to just sit there and do nothing and be bored because then you, your mind sort of, you know, starts to think after about five minutes, but... Absolutely. We, we don't do that. Hey, like. 
Well, a lot of I'm I'm no parent by any means, but <laughs> a lot of kids are overstimulated, which is why yeah. they become naughty. And I think as people with you know, I've now just introduced a dog into that, like into the house, and it's so easy to overstimulate them. Oh, it is, and like we obviously get a lot of families here with these dogs that they can't control, all going a bit nuts, and um, and that's okay. That's why they're here. We're here so we can help them, and. They might rock up with their kids, and the first thing they do is throw an electronic babysitter in front of them, right? Yeah. One of these things here, right? One yeah. of them or an iPad. When I was a kid, it was sit here, keep your mouth shut, your eyes open, and you might learn something. You and know, did you? And, um, oh, occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> Kept my mouth shut, my eyes open. I didn't learn much though, right? Yeah, right, okay. Well, Too busy up here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, absolutely, like. And this is something I tell my clients. Like, I'm an open book, and I just say how it is. But I also laugh at people that crate train their dogs. I get people crate train dog, their dogs in the house, and they go, "Oh, look at these do-gooders! Look at these yuppies! Like, look bloody greenies!" <laughs> and then earlier this year, I realised oh, I'm an absolute hypocrite because I have crate trained my dogs, and I do every day. Because if they're not with me, they're in the back of my ute or they're in their kennel. And yeah. how's that any different? Yeah. Right, they're there learning to be bored. Yeah, and it's so important too. Like, you see those, you see the disasters, um, or disaster centers set up over in the states and things, and there's like hundreds of dogs in crates because they can't put them anywhere else. Like, if your dog's not crate trained, well, what are you going to do? Well, well, that's right. And I, and then I get on the flip side. Oh, they're working dogs, and they need to be running around and whatever. And I go. I build enough desire in my dogs, and all of them have it already genetically, and that, that's that's part of why I go down the lines I do. That if my dogs are running around, they're going to get themselves in mischief. Yeah. And if something happens to somebody else's stock and somebody else's place, my dogs are going to get the first ones to be blamed. So my dogs being in their kennels is the safest option for them. Yeah. Um. Nikki West has asked, what's your perspective on communal feeding and kennel sharing versus feeding and kenneling separate? I, I love communal feeding. Yeah. I, I really do. Um, kind of so the whole pack's together. However, so like, for example, I might put a, a bucket of biscuits down here on the, in the back concrete here and have 12 dogs dropped and get, okay, take. And that's all sweet because I like to see them eat together and be together and that way because they're spending a lot of time together. So if something comes in and growls, I'm the only one that growls in my pack, hey, move out. That dog comes in again, well, that dog's – if that dog's too too eager to pick a fight, it's not hungry enough, so I'll put it away, right? However, I do really like to also feed my dogs individually because then they can work for their tucker. So, one, I, I can monitor how much they eat, but two yeah. is I actually make my dogs work for their dinner every night. So it might be a case of – uh, in all of our kennels, there's bedding at the back. So, or if I had a dog tethered up, like so on a chain and there's a kennel, it might be I go in, open the door, I tell my dogs to go away before I open the kennel. So they're already in the bedding area. They'll be come, away, come, and it might be sit, away, come, drop, away, then I'll put the food down and it'll be come, uh, away, come, away, come. So effectively they're working for their tucker. Um, and it's just another level of control, you know. Um, and I've always done that. And actually, I had a chat. I was having a chat with. Um, well, it was unfortunate we couldn't speak to him last week with the internet issues. Yeah. With uh, with Milo, 
a few months ago and he spoke about if you control in survival you pretty much can shape the instinct of anything and yeah. i started to really think about that i was like wait a minute i actually do that but i never actually identified that i did it because i know that if i've got a warm bed a full belly i know i'm safe i sleep really well, well that's all really that's important to a dog right they don't care what car you drive how big your house is how much jewelry you have or how big your bank account is right they're just all about the moment and survival and where they sit in their pack and how quick they can get to the top if they want to get there mm. and how much space they accumulate around them so um yeah to answer nikki's question i, I like to take it i actually like a mix of it um another yeah. part she's asked is actual sharing of kennels what are your yeah. thoughts on that yeah um if like, so <laughs> over christmas here we're gonna have like oh way too many dogs so um there's gonna be a stack of dogs here so most of our dogs will be sharing kennels yeah um i don't have an issue with that i don't i'm not one of these people that i keep pulling so if i've got um say a kennel a three-bay kennel over there and i've got to have six dogs in it i'll mix those dogs up so i'll put dogs with bitches bitches with dogs and i'll always swap it every night so that no one starts yeah. to think that they own that yeah and anyone could be shifted at any time yeah um, so that's so our dogs basically most of the time they have their own kennels but um <laughs> we will mix move them around as we need to as well yeah Sorry, just, just a question that's come through. Come Nat said, is that the same way you shape Nat's behaviour by controlling your survival? No, so if you ever watch conditions, if you ever watch... <laughs> no, I use, um, I use classical conditioning on Natalie. So um, anyone that wants classical conditioning, just watch the YouTube with the Big Bang Theory. Uh, where Sheldon gives Penny chocolates every time she does something right. I reckon That's that basically might shoe, what I do. I reckon that shoe might be on the other foot in all honesty. Yeah, I think so. Too. <laughs> well, I could dinner tonight, dinner night. <laughs> She's the one yeah, that exactly. gets feeding me the chocolates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the German um, shepherd about to come inside and everything. <laughs> um, and I was like real anti-dogs inside, and now I'm just absolutely turning into a marshmallow. <laughs> um, so Danny Kerr has has asked, what does your training look like leading up to a trial? Um, and is it different for, say, your, your fully broken dog like Mo compared to others that you're just starting or like starting to trial? Or do you have that same sort of conditioning pre-trial? Um, my training before a trial. So most of what I'll do, I'll show them stock. And obviously most of what I'll do is in the paddock. I very rarely, if I'm going to go to a yard trial, I'll very rarely just go and just hound around a yard trial. So most yeah. of what I'll do is um, just work the, work them in the paddock just to knock the edge off them. Like like Laura said before, I don't have the luxury here of, or, or I'm not working on a property all the time, but I've got still got dogs that are bred exactly the same as these people that do. Um, so imagine, um, sorry, we've been joined by Scarlett, the German Shepherd here. Um, yeah, no. So... Um, those dogs that are going to work, I think they can get the edge knocked off them. Yeah. Um, where, when we've got dogs bred the same with the same desire and motivation, um, we've got to find a way to knock just knock that edge off. So for me, it might be just working dogs in the paddock, basically just keep touching stock across the paddock. Um, so like um, casting them out, having them come. If they do something good, they'll get the. They'll, if they cast out well, they'll get the sheep. If not, I'll take, I'll keep the reward off them. Nah. Until you cast good, you're not going to get the sheep. Let them touch stock a few times. And if it's a dog that I think is maybe lacking in, in backing, I might do a bit of backing in the race before a trial. 
Um, maybe put them around my yard, my yard trial once, and that's about it. So you're like, saying you would nine out of ten times train a young dog the same as something like Mo before a trial? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't do anything anything different. Um, yeah. If it's a dog that um, I don't know is maybe um, shot a bit too eager to come in on its stock and, and always pushing the bubble, I might just stop it a bit more uh, and get it to touch stock even more. Just yeah. to go, hey, you don't need to be up and but. Yeah, I don't train a young dog any different to an older dog for a trial. No. Yeah. Yeah, cool. What do you like about trialing? Oh, the the dribble. The dribble. The dribble. <laughs> it's all about the dribble. <laughs> the, the camaraderie, right? Sorry? Who's dribble in particular? Oh, no, we won't go there. Um, but, um, yeah, just the camaraderie, right, the mateship, um, just being able to go anywhere. And like I've already said, I hate talking. So being able just to go and have a chat to anyone and, you know, I've you know, made some great mates trolling. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's even led, like, you spoke earlier about, like, training and mentors. Like, that's even often people just going, hey, come spend a day here. Yeah. You know, going to go shearing here, come spend a day with us or we're going to crutch, come and help here or, or whatnot. So, you know, so... And then you just get to know people on a more deeper level again. So I suppose yeah. um, it's just the camaraderie and getting. Uh, I suppose I'm I'm a people's people person, kind of like I don't know how to say that, but what I said, but just better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, just just the people. Yeah. So how how do you feel your dogs and say the the community have helped you in your journey? You know, in the past sort of five, ten years, so to speak. Yeah, um, the ex-prife probably wouldn't have liked it too much because I spent too much time with the dogs. Um, but um, the people um, in the trialing community, um, like, shit, if I didn't get my working dog into the working dogs, I would never have met Matt, Nat, you know. Um, yeah. And then um, people like this buffet sitting next to me, her and her mum, the, the buffet I'm looking at on the computer right there as well, um, you know, I wouldn't have met great people that were when I was in a moment of need were there for me as well. You know, like when, when everything was up in the air for myself, um, they would have, you know, a lot of my best mates I've known since school didn't know what was going on with me. Um, you know, even like obviously there's no no secret there that we are a split household here, right? Um, yeah. didn't know that the ex-wife and I had split, right? But I, I um, had enough confidence in, a lot of people around me that I didn't know as long as some of my childhood friends that really helped me with that. Right. And, um, getting through those moments and just keeping me occupied. Um, so yeah, I'm forever grateful, um, for not just the sport, but the mates I've met along the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty, pretty special community. I reckon. Um, yeah. Well, absolutely. If someone, someone's having a tough time, we, we all, everyone sort of just bounce together and, Yep. Yeah. Oh, we'll look at that. Um, um, Nathan Kaith, um, in Cowra earlier this year, where he all um organised that trial for uh, Mackenzie. You know, yeah. like their people That's came huge. from all over the state for that. Come from Victoria for yeah, that. Victoria. Like, I met some yeah. fantastic. I'd never met Dale Thompson there like before, and uh, I met him down there and Brock and people like you. You might see on Facebook or your Facebook friends, and you get to talk to me like, oh, they're even better in person. You know, like, yeah. you know, so yeah. um. For people to say that trialing is, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, people that knock it, um, they probably want to get involved just to see 
where you can actually go, not even just about your dogs, just just the people you meet. Yeah. And, so, um, sorry, yeah, go. Laura? No, no, it's no, all right. right. Okay. Oh, I was just oh. going to say, like, you know, Dale, Dale you know, had his hair done by um, well, Harper, my little one, and, yeah. and David and Sarah's daughter, like, just before he went in and won with Jake um, in the open at Carcor. And it just goes to show, like, to me, he, everybody embraces, like, the youth as well. Like, he could have quite easily turned around and said, no, nah, I, I don't want it, but must have just been his lucky charm or something. I don't know. I think he's just trying to keep him away from the moustache, to be honest. <laughs> but, was, I, was that, I actually thought that was Lloyd. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, it was, but, yeah, just a um, bit of doppelganger there. Nah, and you're right, mate. You know, that was like, um, so obviously um, I jumped on board uh, when the opportunity came up to help this with the trial here in Sydney. And one of the first, one of the first things we did there was introduce uh, juniors. And yep. I would say um, back, oh, I can't remember if it was 2019 now or 20. Anyways, mate, the highlight of the weekend for me, and I, I didn't have a bad weekend, to be honest. I, I, I tried, my dogs went well. But the highlight of me was not just watching my kids, but watching all the kids run their dogs. Like, yep. it was just awesome, you know. And even this year, I, I judged the juniors there. Um, and just watching, especially um, Benny Costa's little too. <laughs> it's so competitive. Um, I don't think they talk with each other for 10 minutes afterwards, right? But just to watch the whole just... trip home, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Benny, Benny would have had a fun trip. It would have, it would have. Um, well, actually, they done better. They, they scored better than he did. So I bet they would have run that <laughs> in too. <laughs> but, um, but not just his kids. Like, I think at the where there was, there was... three entries. And I think we ended up running eight, eight or ten kids. I think on eight the or day. ten kids on the day ended up running. Yeah. You know, like yeah. that's just awesome to see, right? Like you, I'm actually glad you highlighted that, Nick, because yeah, it really does embrace. And I can't talk for any of the other states or any other of the other codes, but as far as New South Wales Yard Dog Association goes, they really embrace um, the the young young kids. And I'm not even talking like like some of these kids are like they're, they're not juniors where you consider. 15 years old. We're talking like six-year-olds. Yeah. Yeah. Like six-year-olds. Yeah, well, Brody's, Brody's daughter's three. Well, there you um, go. And went out there with Loz, so, yeah. yeah. So I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that, mate, because um, that, that's that's what Yard Trolling is all about, right? It's a community. It's a, yeah. it's a family away from your family, you know? And, yes, yeah. it's competitive at times and um, people bicker and argue, but you know what? What family doesn't? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You know, when when everyone when it gets when when something has to happen for a good cause, everyone pitches in, and, and that's what a good community or, or a village is all about, right? Yeah. So we always ask the question, as we do, real work work dogs don't make trial dogs, and vice versa. But I'm going to put a different spin on that and say, how do your dogs handle going to real work? On a property, mm -hmm. when you when you get the opportunity to, how do they handle that? Being trained not to trial, but the basis of your training is at the end of the game, you trial more than you do real yeah, work. Absolutely. So, how do your dogs then handle that? Well, the foundations aren't any different. Like your starting blocks, right? Like we get people here all the time. I like go, if you if you got a call off on your dog, a stop, a clockwise and any clockwise, it's ready to take the work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. We get that on our dogs here. 
Um, and yeah, I've got I've got a few of the buttons, you know, the, the walk in, the, the reverse, the barking command, bottom command. They're all party tricks at the end of the day. They're cool, right? Um, but I suppose if you get those foundations right, when it's time to take your dog to work, yeah, it might get it. It might get a bit lost to start with. But you, if you've, well, I like to think if if you've spent the time and getting a lot of those foundations right, and you've got something that's relatively bred well, after that the edge is knocked off it and it gets the concept of what you're trying to do. It can kind of pull, pull it together. Yeah. Right? It might not yeah. be the prettiest to start with. And you know what, if you're working with someone else that's been got a five-year-old dog out there, it shouldn't be as pretty as that. Yeah. Uh, like that, for me to expect that, that, that's unfair to that dog. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think if you get the foundation right and then you can look past those little um, mishaps to start with, like they might see a massive mob and run through them. We go, well, come back here, mate. That's got, not good enough. Let's do this again, <laughs> right? And then you get through and, you know, by the end of the day, they normally got sore feet, mm. you know, um, which is obviously really does help because um, you can't beat Miles. Well, let's be honest. Like Miles is what makes makes dogs yep. like the Olympic swimmers don't get good watching other people swim on TV, right? They're in the pool. They're doing the miles. Um, so, but as long as it's, got that attitude that it wants to work with you I, I i think you can look past those little mistakes and you know maybe by lunchtime have something that's that's uh you're proud to go hey that's my dog out there working yeah yeah and they're also, yeah. of course you know they, they're going to learn every day so they're only going to get better right mm. yeah and do you think that you know like or how do you then prepare if you know you're going away for a week working you know we say fozzy or someone um do you try and prep your dogs fitness wise and and <laughs> and run them a fair bit or, or do you just go bugger them they'll they'll be worn out the first day they'll yeah be a bit for the second and then yeah let them go hard and gas out and then watch them let them watch everything else work and then eventually they're gonna have to pull themselves up and work work wise right yeah so let them let them gas themselves out. Make sure there's no carnage though. Obviously, you got to be nice and fair on your stock, right? Because like it's all is all about your stock at the end of the day. Because we're not working dogs, we're working stock. Yeah. Right? So that, that that's the the be all and end all. Right? Make sure that's all going good. And if they're gassing out a bit early on, so be it. Right? Normally you'd find like when I went on that four weeks there hitchhiking around, my dogs come back using their brains and. I think that actually helped seeing all different types of stock over that time as well. We weren't just yeah. on one place as well, right? I think they really yeah. got a lot of a lot of work under their belts from, from that. So I think that's why a lot of contractors do really well. But yeah, no, to answer your question, no, I don't um I, I don't do anything special, mate. I just ask them to have a go. Yeah, cool. cool. Yeah. And um you've been breeding a few dogs. I have. What do you what do you enjoy about the breeding? No different to that that hunting dog I mentioned earlier, where you have that, that eight week old pup and then that 10, 12 month old pup jumping off a ute, right? To fight to on on a little scent that's gone through a million different scents in the air. Um, I enjoy um, having that pup from date of birth, like from when it's born, and then watching it develop and just learning from it, right? And just uh, taking it all under the belt. Right, no, no, they don't all end up champions. Um, well, very, very few do. Right, it depends what you classify as a champion, because right? everyone's got a champion at home. <laughs> um, and, and 
everyone should have a champion at home because if they they don't, they should probably reconsider what they're doing um, yeah. and how they're doing it. Um, but um, yeah, I suppose just watching that young dog develop, you know, like Mo, for example, watching that that dog just develop um, and go through the ranks, and then you know, take him out to different places and working and become a maiden dog and novice dog, and how many times that he I've had him in different scenarios on different types of stock, and he just keeps at it and having a go for me. Yeah, that, that, that's what I that's what I love about watching my dogs. Yeah, yeah. and um, you know, what are you sort of not breeding for? Because I guess you sort of answered that, but what are you looking for before joining dogs? Um, something I like. Yeah, and for, if and I suppose first of all and be all like, I got young kids. So I can have something that I absolutely love its work, but if it's nature and temperament's off, I, w- I won't breed from it. I-, I can't do that. And I think that's pretty irresponsible to do so. Um, yep. So um, nature and temperament, number one. Um, and um, something I like and, and has a good attitude and just uh, I like something with a bit of – I do like something with a bit of style, but I also like something that wants to come forward before yep. it wants to go yep. sideways. Yeah, yeah. Like you talk to me a bit about you want something with a bit of direct strength. Um, yeah, it can can walk straight in and, and hold itself, kind of thing. That's still what you're thinking, or yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I can teach most things to go sideways, um, but you can't teach them to come forwards with with will and determination, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you can enhance it, but I don't think you can really. Um, train a dog to do it um with actual um proper intent i suppose is yeah. what i'm saying where i'm going yeah, yeah I know what you mean. when um like when you breed a litter um do you sort of do you pick your pup on on a, a multitude of traits or, or do you sort of pick your pup on what, you know, that some people go the first one out of the kennel all the time or, you know, just, just little quirks. Like what, what's your quirk? Yeah. So yeah, we only really breed a little when we want something for ourselves, And most of them, I'm really picky on it. And I used to always pick the one that I become matey with. Yeah. I was finding that those ones just, when I started to train them, didn't take me. Um, so I've kind of went away and, uh, I picked Mo because he was the run to the litter. Um, but um, Dave Motley, who's actually another mentor, I didn't mention him earlier, um, he, uh, he's he got this saying, I can't exactly what it is, but basically you're safe with an average. So I just yeah. try and pick now something in the middle, something that um, stands out and you like it, but it, it's it's average, right? It's not the one that's all over you and it's not the one that doesn't want to be near you to start with. Which I suppose not many of them we have don't want to be near because we spend a lot of time with them. But yeah, pick that pick that pup in the average in the middle there, and if it's anything like the parents that you're breeding because you obviously like them, you shouldn't go too wrong. Yeah, that's cool. Good advice. What about opinion of dog over like percentage wise of what you've seen your pups? My pups, hundred percent. I've noticed that nature and temperament straight after my bitches. Um, of of. I've noticed that I think it plays a bit big part in there, and um, they they're with the bitch along a lot longer than they're around the dog, right? Like mm. you know, they might not even yeah. ever see their father really, 
you know, unless you, you have them here, they might see them when they get a bit older and they're interacting. Um, so for nature and temperament, I, I think the bitch has a bit of a part, more of a part to play. In workability, I, I think it's pretty mixed um, and, and spread between the two. But I, I think a, a bitch's nature and temperament has a lot to do with the development of a part. Yeah. And what about advice of picking of someone else picking their first pup or dog? Get someone else to do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah, just something you like. Because uh, if you don't like it, you're not going to spend the time with it. Yeah. And then they, you have to spend the time with it. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, like, do you have a color preference? Um, you know, you're going to stick to your black and tans a bit now, or not not a, really you got a rainbow I, I got a um yeah last week i had a rainbow i had a black and tan to yellow dog or red and tan dogs i got a blue or fawn and tan dog i do like my black and tans uh you've I even got a white and black white and black i do i got the magpie as well um yeah. but yeah no I, I do like and i really like her she's a real cool little pup um yeah i do like my black and tans um but any day, um, I don't really have too much of a preference now. Like, good dog's a good dog, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what like what age do you start doing anything with your pups on stock, and then how do you put some foundation of a, a calm and a sit and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, so I might show my my pup stock at eight weeks old. Um, and I've got no expectation. You know, I used to have all the expectation and, oh, look at this and look at that. And, you know, that, that can – you can get gazumped there pretty quickly. Um, so I have no expectation anymore. Uh, I just put them on, show them a bit. Uh, until they're like maybe four months old, I'm just showing them stock for, you know, three or four minutes, maybe once a fortnight, if that, um, whenever I get a chance really, whenever the sheep are in the yards and I've got nothing – I might have a couple of minutes spare. Um and then from now, so I've got a puppy, that, that collie pup I mentioned before, she's four months old. And today it's just shaping her, right? So just using my body language here to clockwise and anti-clockwise and, and holding her out there and sticking with my sheep to frustrate her to get a stop. Um, and the only thing I actually put on her is a recall. So I'll clip her up and go, I'll do it, I'll do. Um, and I'll do that till she's about, oh, depends on her mental maturity, but about six to eight months. Um, and when I can just move my shoulders and she goes, clockwise or anti-clockwise and um i try to work the front of a dog not the back of a dog so i don't push a dog from behind i like to what robert cox refers to as pulling a dog um so yeah. i like to work a dog like that so that way there's minimal pressure because i hate applying pressure to any animal uh, even when i do my rehabilitation stuff we're always doing everything with as least pressure as possible um otherwise if you've done it with more pressure you're not going to build a rapport um and then i suppose yeah um at you know six to eight months when that dog's I can see that dogs really wants to learn a bit more and, and can take a bit bit of heat. I'll start to put, you know, my my le- my work commands to my actions, and then I might start using it in the back of a pen and back in a race and, and little things like that, and just building confidence. You know, always trying to show them as many heads on stock rather than than backsides, so they're always turning stock and or turning sheep and building confidence. Yeah, just always building them up and and short stints. Yeah. Um, question here from uh, Nikki West. She's asked, when teaching a pup to back, what age do you start? 
Also, does this depend on the age and development stage? Do you think you can start too early and damage joints? Um, I think you can start too early um, and damage confidence 100% uh, if, if not all goes to plan. Uh, damage joints, I don't like to see young dogs jumping off big heights early. Um, like this four-month-old pup I've got now, I don't let her jump off the back of the ute. I pick her up and put her on the ute and pick her up and take her off the ute. Um, but, you know, if I've got sheep in the race, I'll, I'll pick her up and put her on their backs just to build a bit of confidence and get her comfortable there. Yep. Um, but I'm not going to ask her to, to try and jump up, and I definitely don't want her to get hurt. So, you know, um, you know that, that four-month-old mark where, you know, they might just be in the middle of teething um, and they're already a bit cocky, you know, they're already getting a bit confident. I'll, uh, I'll get them in there and put them on their backs, but I'm, I'm not putting them in a situation they can get hurt at all, no. Yeah. Um. What's what's your preference of stock? You know, like in terms of, would you prefer to be working merinos or crossbred ewes um, in a trial situation, um, and why? I like I like the anything touchy in a trial, and that's because yep. I'm not being cocky, but I've got, most of the time I have pretty good control on my dogs, so. If I can keep them off, I'll call it point and shoot trolling, where if I point my dog here, the sheep shoot that way. And if I point my dog here, they shoot the other way. So I think you have to have good control on a lot of your dogs for that. Um, but you also need to have a dog that's got good, um, that's got a bit of grip and good cover, um, which I, I like a dog with, that's got a bit of grip and cover. So yeah, I, I like those little pingy ones, the point, the ones that normally steal points. Um, yeah. Because they're the ones I, tend to normally do better on. Or well, I think when you have something that's heavier stock, it's anyone's ball game, but more so those dogs with a lot of presence are going to do better. Um, but you've probably got more dogs achieving more in those trials um, where when you've got pingy sheep, this, the, you can really see the difference in the scores. Yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Um. What's probably your, like, you do a bit of everything, but what's probably your favourite form of trialling? Oh, utility trialling. Yeah. Utility trialling um, or um, the um, all around yeah. stuff yeah. like the, the USD, SSD yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. And, you know, my dogs see bugger or cattle, but just being able to put them in and have a crack. Um, and, yeah, no, I don't do many three-sheep trials because I don't have the time yet. I'm not semi-retired. Um, I'd, <laughs> I'd love to do more of those. I really, really enjoy them, but I, I just – can't get the time to do them, um, but yeah, I, I love those those utility or the all around style trials. Yeah, yeah, the all the all around stuff's cool. Like, and I think um, like Nathan is hoping he might might run another one next year in Cowra, and um, the boys down south are, are doing another one, another SSD yep. again. So, um, yeah, you can head down to that. Um, that's a kid week, so I have to see how I can try and um, sort that out. Um, it's an awesome holiday for him, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. Favorite movie and everything you can take him to the heart. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so I, I would love to get down there, yeah, a hundred percent, and support it. Right, well, this will be the second year going. You got a couple of fantastic blokes running that trial. And I'm sure they've got a fantastic committee behind them as well. Oh, and to be running you the know. Australian yeah. um, 
utility, oh, not as utility, the, the, the National yard. Kelping and the Australian yeah. Yard yeah. all in the same week. Oh, it'd be fantastic, all right? They've got to have an awesome committee. And even putting some face to names, mm. you know, like I said, I, I hate meeting people, right? So, um, yeah, just getting out and being able to have a gas bag with different people that you don't get, might not ever get the opportunity to meet it in face to face again um, would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, cool. What are, what are your thoughts on, you know, behaviours of, of some people? Uh, we're not going to talk anyone in particular, but, you know, like do we, on, on Facebook and things, do you see that there's a bit too much of a culture um, knocking people down or do you, do, you, do you see the culture is there that we are all trying to build ourselves up? Like what's your yeah. view there? Yeah, look, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one, right? Uh, and, and that's okay. Uh, I think we just have to respect other people's opinions. Um, but in saying that as well, if you're going to put stuff up on social media, be prepared to hear the negative as much as you're going to hear the positive. Um, but look at the positives out of the negatives as well. Right? I'm sure you can take, if someone was to bag out something on Facebook for something you've done, I'm sure you can take a positive away from that Um and, and maybe do something different in the future. Or if you don't want to do it different, don't do it different. But take it on board because not everyone likes not everyone likes vanilla vanilla flavour, right? So some other people are going to have yeah, different exactly. opinions and take it on board. Just go, okay, yeah. that's fine. That's okay. Yeah. You don't agree with that. That's not a problem. Just don't take it personal. Yeah, yeah, cool. And, and, and saying that as well, sorry to add, people shouldn't make things personal. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's all right not to take things personal, but other people on the other end shouldn't make things personal either. Just give your opinion on what you've seen because it's out there for people to comment on. If you've put something up there, you've put it out there for people to look at. So you're going to have to take the good with the bad. But there's no need to make it personal. Yeah. And while we're on that sort of – oh, you go, Nick. No, you're right. I was just going to say, what are your thoughts on – Crossing and inside flanks in a trial. Oh, the more crosses, the better. I actually, oh. um, uh, when I judged at Sydney the other day in a novice, I said, if you can get your dog to cross you anywhere in here, uh, ask it to cross you, not it just cross. I, I, I wish I could give you extra points for it because what a waste of time calling a dog behind you mm. to do something. Yeah. Um, I, I just, yeah, the, the more crosses, the better. Um, if they're practical. Right, I'm not saying some loopy cast cross off the cast, but that's silly. Right? Yeah. But if you're coming out of a drench race or a draft, and the sheep are gone oh, back behind that, you, back behind you, why should your dog have to loop back around you to go through? If if the fastest um, way between a point two points is a straight line, right? What? Why are we gonna send our dogs around to like just get them to cut straight mm -hmm. through and? Like we yeah. talk about having the dog on the job. Well, by the time it cuts around, those sheep might have gone three or four metres past where they should be going forward for the next obstacle. Send that dog, get that dog to cross you and hold them up, 100%. Yeah, so like, and, and that's, I guess that's the thing, you know, if they if they go back around you, you're losing course points. Um, yeah. So if your dog crosses you and... You, you keep them on course, well, you don't lose course points, so it was a good thing. If they keep yeah. going off course and it wasn't effective, well, you're still going to lose points. But, 
for your course points. So take them there. Like, hundred percent. You get. You're gonna ask me about my biggest hate after that. Yeah, I was there. actually flow. I can't stand people camping at obstacles. Like, go forward. Keep things moving forward. I can't. I I, I can't stand no flow. Make things happen. Make and just keep going. Yeah. Um, I, was at a, I was at a three sheep trial once and people were getting high, were getting to the bridge and I was finishing the trial and people were getting to the bridge and getting a higher score than me. And I didn't yeah, really I understand that. it. And I was like, what, what's going on here? And someone advised me that if I just camped in front of that bridge, that I wouldn't lose the points that I might have lost trying to actually create the flow to get around. And, um, and it wasn't an affiliated trial or anything, and that's okay. And that's the rules. That's no dramas. I don't have a problem with that, but I didn't know it at the time. But I was just, like, blown away how you can reward not trying to finish a course. So, yeah, lack of, lack of flow. But but isn't that the same as, um, yeah, dare I say it, at Karkor on the weekend, you could have put cattle through the obstacles and kept them flowing, but because you have to be there before the cattle go through, you if they go through, you've got to bash them back, and so you, like you're you're restricting flow, um, and yeah, like you, I actually think the amount of completions at that course last week would have been quite quite high if you had been allowed flow. So you yeah. saying you had to rework the obstacle if even though the cattle went through and you weren't in the ring? If, if the first beat, if the first beats beats you through, if he goes through the obstacle before you're at the peg, mm-hmm. um, you have to rework that obstacle. Yeah, right. I, I can't comment on that, and and, and on three shapes. I I just have a crack. I don't know the rules <laughs> good enough. I just get out there and do whatever. Um, but I know in utility trialing, if they get through the obstacle, all you have to do is step in your in your ring and keep going. Um, yep. And I consider that good work. And if you camp in front of an obstacle and without anything happening, the, the judge's clicker, he, he's going to rapid fire on that clicker. Uh, yeah. And he should. Or she. And so it should. Right. Yeah, 100%. That, that's, um, that's probably my biggest, my biggest frustration when you see someone trying to get through um, and they're actually um, – disadvantaged um, by someone that's happy just to stand there. Yeah. Yeah, just the sit and wait game. Yeah. So other than those two things, is there anything you'd like to see change in trialling? And, and mm. you know, you compete in yard trialling mostly. So yeah. in, in that? Um, I think they're going all right. Uh, I'm pretty good. Um, and I don't know. I probably don't deserve a I haven't been around long enough to have um, a valid opinion, to be honest. But sometimes um, a fresh outside opinion yeah, is always good. I think um, it was Mary McCrabb we interviewed, and she talked about like um, they used to simulate like um, foot baths mm. or a creek or something like that, like uh, like yeah. a, a little obstacle for water. I think something like that's cool yeah. as well. Um, yeah. I don't know how you'd bring that into a yard trial. Maybe you could do it in, a, in an outside trial. Uh, I know I don't even necessarily mean a three sheep or a utility trial, kind of. I mean, maybe set up like that, maybe more like a farm, a farm trial. Excuse me, farm trial setup mm. where you could do that stuff. Um, I mean, when I first started trialing, I went down to Tony Melville ran a trial down at the Sydney Uni there, 
for the um i think it was a coolie rescue and that was fantastic actually lauren um judged that um one of my mates beat me by 18 seconds so i ended up coming third not not <laughs> second but um i said right paul i'll forgive you for that <laughs> um but um that was great because that simulated real work right we're moving sheep from pen to pen trying to get them through obstacles and it finished with putting them in um in a shearing shed like yep. them up. yeah well wow. right and um there was a there was a gap there was a bridge there was a whole heap of different yeah aspects that's right and that was really cool um, we don't really see many of them anymore well no like i know you you're pretty keen to do one of the um oz catalog challenges like tony mccallum's yeah. trials oh, and, um and that is yeah that, that that's quite practical like they've got not all of them but depending on the on the property that they go to you can have a creek crossing and or wet muddy gateways and all sorts of things, blind casts. So um, do you think that's where you'd really like to see yourself yeah, in, yeah. in terms of trialling? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like to have a dog good enough to compete with those guys and girls um, that um, that do those trials. Um, would I have a crack at it now? Yeah, 100%. If I, if I didn't have a dog that had a stick halfway through his chest, I'd love to love to get out and do that. Um, you know, and, and might not be the greatest at it, but we'll get out and have a crack and see what it's all about. Um, and that's why I suppose been speaking with you about liking those wanting those dogs that a little bit less eye that want to come forward more. So yep. I can try and attempt them some trials like that. And and it's not even about the winning or losing or whatever, it's it's just the having a go. Right? It's just just the just trying to push myself as a handler. Um, to see where me and my team could ultimately ever end up, what we can achieve together. Yeah, yeah cool. Um, if, okay. okay. If no, no. you could spend a day in the life of any mm. trainer or handler, past or present, who would it be? Day why? as them, day as them, or with them? As them. So if you could feel, say, Benny Costa's shoes, <laughs> would you do it? I'd feel his shoes. I don't know about um, feeling uh, his, his shorts or his shirt. Um, <laughs> um, 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 um. Oh, there's so many out there. Yeah, someone would probably be like that. would probably be Chris Stapleton. So I've never seen him flip his top. I've never seen him lose his cool. Um, and I think someone's got a lot of experience and he's worked, you know, works every day. So I work as them. Yeah. Cause I'd like to see what happens behind closed doors to see if he actually that cool all the time. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just love the way he handles, handles a dog. He's it's pretty softly spoken, isn't he? Oh, he's a gentleman. Um, he's always given me time. I, I you know, if I've got questions, he's always asked and, you know, he's always giving me time. But, yeah, he's just he's just just a cool, cool cucumber, right? He's just – I've never seen him raise his voice at one of his dogs before, right? And there's, there's so many good handlers out there, um, and that's a pretty hard question to, to, to actually answer on the spot like that. So I'm sure I'm going to change my mind 16 times in the next two days. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I suppose he'd be one I'd really like to – yeah – yeah. What about yeah. spend you know a day or a week with? 
Oh, we're pretty fortunate to spend mm. some time with a lot of people. Um, someone that you haven't spent time someone with. Someone I haven't spent time with. Oh, probably a big Gaz Dog, big mm. Gary White. Um, you know, I've spent some time trying to change his mind and supporting a shit football team. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, spent spent some time, and you know, he's obviously a legend at what he does. Um, he's been doing it for a long time. He's been doing it since a kid. His dad was really good at it as well. Um, so yeah, probably, probably Gaz. Gaz is probably someone I haven't spent time with, and I'd like to. Yeah. Um, throughout Hooked on Hounds and your travels with your dogs, um, is there something that you see a lot of people struggle with, and how do you think they can improve it? Um, there's two things that stick in my mind there. Um, one is something Robert Cox said to me a long time ago, and the other one's something Nathan Cafe actually said on our first interview. Robert Cox said people are too busy working their dog and not their stock. Mm-hmm. And that, that's yeah. one one thing that I, I think, and that's why I'm always into people here, like stop working your dog, work the stock. Just think about where the stock needs to be, and then if your dog's not there already, then then do it. Then yeah. ask him to be there or her to be there. Uh, and the other thing Nathan Cafe mentioned is, is timing. Mm-hmm. Timing is crazy. Like timing is everything in life, really, isn't it? You know, like yeah. Oh, watching this movie at the moment on, on binge there called uh, Upright, and um, one the the lady made a comment like after a car accident, she goes, "A minute earlier, um, you could hit someone else. A minute later, you could something else could happen, but we would, would never have met." And they've formed this awesome relationship, right? Because mm-hmm. life's about timing. Yeah, yeah. And it's no different with with trialing, right? It's all about timing. Um, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have any more questions for him, Nick? Yeah, I've got I've, I've actually I've got I've got one before we do our uh, who would you fight? Um how important is mindset to you um both in your daily routine and then when it comes to your dogs uh, your livestock and and your kids too. A hundred percent, right? Um, the moment you start to, to doubt yourself, you will start to actually doubt yourself, right? So keeping a positive mindset is really important. I can do this. This is simple. This is fun. This is easy, right? All right. And, and just go down that path. Um, Laura here could tell you how many times we've maybe spent time with our dogs before coming up to a trial, and I go, I'm going to win that trial. And she goes, you're yeah. an idiot. And I've come away, and I'm not gloating at all here, right? But I'm just, I'm just in that mindset. You know that was it Ocean's Thirteen, where they just they kept giving, they had to get a, a guy to pick a number or something like a a player with a gamble, and they kept showing that the this guy the number everywhere. So going into the lifts and you know how many flowers were delivered, it was that number of flowers and everything. It's, it's all yeah. about building. <laughs> it's so off topic, but I watched a Shark Tank the other day come up on my thing and it was one of the sharks saw this brand of like, it was like an Uber, but not Uber. Um, and she'd seen him before because the old mate's wife had seen that she was in the area where they were working. So they put all 20 of their cars out onto the streets. So she saw it like a hundred times. That's the only time she'd ever seen him, yeah. but it's exactly mindset. Yeah, like it, the way yeah. the brain works is yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, so always going out with a positive yeah. outlook on things and going, well, th- this is simple. Like 
put this one. I mentioned one of my dream jobs before being a water skiing instructor. I was the worst water skier ever to the fact that when I was bought my first water ski, I was given a first aid kit with it. <laughs> I mean, I was terrible. I was terrible, right? And um, I could barely get up on two skis, let alone one. Anyways, I mastered two skis and I could not get up on one. And I'd be in my lounge room on my ski practicing rocking to get up. And I remember going that weekend and I just went, I'm going to just rock up like this and I'm going to go. And I went, I got off that on the boat, getting the water, and I just went, went up. And people were like, wow, you've been practicing? I went, no. Well, didn't tell I was rocking the floor <laughs> in my lounge room, right? But you have now. I, it was in my head that this is the technique I'm going to use. And, um, yep. you know, I, I'm the kind of person that if I have a go at something, I, I get fairly competitive at it. Um, and not to be the best, but to worry the best, but just to kind of have a proper crack. Um, yeah. And believing in yourself and is a massive part of that. Yeah. So, so what does success look like to you then in a trial ring? Like, do you, or yeah, do you go and define success before you walk out? And is that winning, or is that getting the pen, or is it vary between dogs? Uh, it probably varies a bit between my dogs. Um, success for me is being consistent. So if I'm consistently making finals or consistently just not making finals, but my dogs are giving me everything, I'm happy yeah. with that. Yeah, cool. You know, um, that's that's how I I'm happy with the trial if everyone's giving me their best and I'm consistent. If if I have if my dogs are off one week and I'm entirely and and, I'm, and myself as well, but then I'm like, all right, well, where to go wrong? You know, and and. Not, I'm not going to come home and drill on it, but I'm going to go, oh, okay, well, next time we'll maybe we've got to approach things a little bit differently. Yeah. Yep. I just yep. want to be consistent. You know, yeah. There's a question here from Tristan Lyons. He's asked, what's one bit of advice you've been given or learnt that you wish you knew when you were training your first working dog? Oh, roll a smoke. <laughs> <laughs> right, like just chill out a bit. Like train the dog in front of you. Not what you want it to be, but what's in front of you, and make it the best version of it it can be, not what you want to turn it into. Yeah. Um, and just chill out. Just don't rush things all the time. Just mm. just chill out. And I, um, I think that's a massive thing today. I think everyone's looking for something these days rather than and turn what's in front of them into something they had or something that somebody else has, rather than the best version of what it can be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. So is it the, the pointy end of the night where we get to ask that question? Yeah. Well, it's up to you guys. Yeah. Well, first of all, you got to yeah. pick um, the best question. Well, I really, really liked Nikki's question about the communal feeding versus um, yeah. feeding individually. Yeah. Uh, Radio. well, I've got Nikki's details, so, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, Thanks, cool. Enduro. Um, Nick's got a question for you instead of my so, duck question. Oh, here we so go. We've, we've altered it. Um, would you rather take on one Matt the size of Jacob Ryan or one Jacob Ryan the size of Matt? Oh, are we talking the Jacob Ryan that's been on the drink or not on the drink? <laughs> Because if, oh, it was one, if it was one that had been on the drink 
and Jacob's a great mind of mine, but I couldn't handle the dribble. Um, <laughs> Jacob the size of that. So I would take on one Nat the size of Jacob Ryan because um, she wouldn't be able to put me in as big a German headlocks headlock. as she does now. They'd be little headlocks and be like more, more like because I'm only tiny. It'd be like like little people wrestling. So <laughs> I'll roll with that one. Yeah, nice. nice. Well, um, um, I was just going to say thank you, everyone, for jumping on tonight. We did have a bit of a technical issue there for a little few minutes, but um, we got it all sorted. And and Nick, thank you so much for jumping on with me. And you know, it's hard to ask someone questions when you already know a lot of the answers. So, thank you so much. Um, yeah, my my pleasure. I, I had. Heaps of fun and look forward to doing it next week for you. Mm. Yeah, it could be interesting. Oh, it could be, mate. No, thanks <laughs> yeah. for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank That's you. Right. Everyone, please remember we learn every day and the day we stop learning from each other will be a sad day. It's <laughs> awesome. Thank Sounds you. Good. Sounds better from you. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Yeah.